put the bunny down. That is my absolute worst Nicolas Cage impression. And I'm doing that impression because tonight, after being bugged over and over and over for years to just watch a bunch of Nicolas Cage films, I somehow have watched a large amount of Nicolas Cage films in the last few days. So tonight, we are discussing the recent horror works of one Mr. Nicolas Cage. All that and more tonight here on T Watches a Scary Movie. watches a scary movie my name is t and of course we are here talking scary movies i appreciate everybody joining in for another brand new episode you don't need to adjust your dial you are checking things out right correctly here it is an audio only episode i told y'all from time to time that's going to be the way that these things go down and this one is no different we are doing an audio only episode but keep in mind you can be alerted of when all of our new episodes go up every Wednesday, typically at 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time by subscribing to the YouTube page. Yes, if you subscribe to the YouTube page, you will get all the alerts you need for when I am putting up new episodes. That YouTube page is youtube.com slash C slash Theron Reynolds Scary Movie. Again, that's youtube.com slash C slash Theron Reynolds Scary Movie. If you subscribe to our YouTube page, you will get all the alerts necessary to find out when new episodes are going up and any other fun videos I'm choosing to upload as well, too. But if you want information on our watch parties, if you want to take part in daily discussions we're having, if you just want to have a little bit of fun, then you need to subscribe to our Facebook group for T-Watches a Scary Movie. That's Facebook.com slash groups slash T-Scary Movie. Again, Facebook.com slash group slash T scary movie. If you subscribe to the Facebook page, you will get all the alerts necessary for things like our Wednesday night watch parties where we're going to be watching movies and stuff like that together or our Saturday night parties uh, where we watch a bunch of scary TV shows. Now, here's the only thing. Uh, I did mention last month that I'm going to start taking one Saturday off a month in order to really run these things right here, and that's this coming Saturday. So our Scary TV Watch Party, which is usually coming in on Saturday nights, we will actually be doing this coming Thursday. So we will start our Scary TV Watch Party this coming Thursday. We're going to do that same time. It's still going to be 7.30. We're still going to do our typical ones. We're going to have Are You Afraid of the Dark? We're going to have Spawn, we're going to have Black Mirror, Tales from the Crypt, Hannibal, and we are going to finish 
off the stand. And perfect timing because, as I mentioned as well, the second season of Creepshow starts in April. So we'll be adding Creepshow back into the lineup once we get into April. In the meantime, I'm going to have some fun swapping a few things in and out of our Saturday watch parties over the next few weeks. But make sure you are tuning in Thursday. February 25th, 7.30 p.m. You got to go to the Facebook group to get the link because we will be doing a scary TV watch party tomorrow. Yeah. So, you know where to subscribe. You're here listening now. You heard the intro. Uh, folks, I have, uh, I, I don't know. I'm weird when it comes to new movies, mainly because I love the theater so much. And obviously, I know there are great movies that sometimes will never get to theaters. Never, ever. They'll never get there. You got to catch them streaming. You got to buy the DVD, Blu-ray, whatever. Um, but this last year has kind of been hard because I've tried to pick up a lot more TV shows in the pandemic. Movies were kind of hard to get through because I'm so stubborn sometimes when it comes to watching a lot of uh, independent flicks. But... I've been hearing nothing nonstop about all uh, all these movies that I'm going to be discussing tonight with you because we are talking the works of one Mr. Nicolas Cage. Now, this guy has gone through so many phases in his career that it's actually really enjoyable to see this is the next phase that he's now hitting. If you remember, you know, when he first started off, late 70s, early 80s, it's a lot of drama, a lot of, like, rom romantic flicks and stuff like that. A few oddball films in there. Vampire's Kiss is definitely one. That's a good one, though. Um, but then in the 90s, like, around the mid-90s, Nick Cage became an action star. And he started being the guy you would see in, like, the, the big fun popcorn films of the summer like uh, uh when things were coming out like everybody remembers con air of course who could not remember con air it's part of the reason why i hate people so damn much with this because i fucking hate con air it is a terrible terrible movie but people love it so much but you know what's not con air the fucking rock the Rock is amazing, and it is. I, I'm hard pressed to think of a film, of a Nicolas Cage film, I enjoy more than that. Uh, but then again, Face Off is pretty damn good as well, too. 8mm is good. I enjoy Snake Eyes. And of course, Gone in 60 Seconds. Like, Nick Cage was the man back in the late 90s, early 2000s stuff. But the problem is, is that. He hasn't exactly had a lot of great films uh, post about 2010. For the last 11 years, Nick Cage's good movies are, are very rare and few. And I say that because if we look at 2010, he had two films come out. He had Kick-Ass and he had The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Kick-Ass is amazing. Sorcerer's Apprentice is actually not bad at all. It's just not one that I find myself going and watching that much. And then 2011, the dude had four movies, Season of the Witch, Drive Angry, Trespass, and Seeking Justice, which two of those for sure got a theatrical film. Um, Drive Angry is really the only good one out of those ones. That's a fun film. And then some other noticeable ones, uh, Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance, the second Ghost Rider film. Uh, the Croods, I actually did enjoy The Croods. Croods was fun. Um, let's see, Left Behind, which was the reboot of the uh, popular Christian novel series about the rapture. Uh, what else? You got Snowden. Uh, you have, you have a lot of direct 
to video stuff. I mean, he did Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is fantastic. He did Teen Titans Go to the Movies. That was fun as well, too. But outside of those, it's just a lot of direct-to-video stuff with the quality of those mostly ranging on bad. But something happened in the last few years, though. Because typically it's hard to come back. If you're if you're out there and your career is basically making direct-to-video movies at this point, you don't really get a comeback. You know, we've seen it with guys like Cuba Gooding Jr. and some past like James Bond actors and stuff like that. But the idea is if you go with Bruce Willis even does that now. But if you do a bunch of direct-to-video movies, chances are you're not really gonna get back to doing a lot of like big old in like big old theatrical films. There are some exceptions, but it just doesn't happen that often. And we know Nicolas Cage has had some money issues, so a lot of times his films that he's doing is just to pay off a lot of debt. But something happened. And Nicolas Cage has actually been in some damn good horror movies in the last few years. In 2018, Nicolas Cage did a film called Mandy. If you have not heard about Mandy, um, Mandy is a film about uh what's even the way to describe it uh nicholas cage plays this character named red miller and red miller lives in the mountains with his girlfriend mandy and they they live a really simple life it seems you know there's a lot of backstory uh there's a lot of backstory we're supposed to pick up that uh they both have some psychological issues uh they're both really reclusive and that that's a big part of it is that their characters are extremely reclusive they don't speak a lot either a lot of it is just like emoting through their eyes which damn good work uh from from the actors in this because they're expressing a lot of what they want to say through their eyes there and eventually what happens is that a local cult called the children of the new dawn their leader jeremiah sand is just taken by mandy okay he's just she's beautiful he wants her he needs to have her so he orders his disciples to kidnap her and these disciples uh hire a local a local gang called the black skulls which may or may not be uh be made up of demons because you know they have a taste for human flesh and they're on lsd so they could be demons they're not demons but you know it's implied that it, like it's very very close to it uh but basically these people kidnap mandy and red and while jeremiah sand is trying to get mandy to submit to him you know she obviously doesn't do it she's a headstrong woman she doesn't need to be guided like that or anything and in return just being taken aback by what mandy did and basically just like you know rebuking him he decides that he's gonna kill her and they burn mandy to death now i i try to be wary with the spoilers but it's a big plot point of it and it, it's hard because it does happen in the first half of the film it's the driving force for the second half of the film so it's hard to really discuss it and not discuss that but i'm not really going to go into detail about uh pretty much anything after that first half but the second half of the film is a revenge story with nicholas cage's red going to get revenge on everybody who had played a part in their kidnapping and the murder of his wife now I had heard amazing things about Mandy. And I do remember there being this big ruckus about uh, I, the Gremlin serial, troll serial Gremlin. I forget. Um, uh, but there was this big thing about uh, like all that, uh, like a bunch of the merchandise with it. People were absolutely in love with it. And the big thing I remember hearing is that this was quite a surprise for Nicolas Cage. Because again, 
Nick Cage hasn't exactly been making good movies in the last decade. He really has not been. He has an occasional gem, but most of all, his films just turn out to be pretty, pretty bad. And I was shocked by how good Mandy was, mainly because it wasn't a popcorn flick. And what I mean by that is, is that even with horror, it's easy to not really have that much investment in certain films because they're not going to give you a lot in the way of answers with, uh, with certain films that you're going to watch. And so I wasn't expecting that here with Mandy, but Red and Mandy, for not saying a lot in this film, man, there's some good character there and some really, really great work from Nicolas Cage. Um, one scene that if you see it, you'll definitely either you'll really, really enjoy it or you'll just say this is over the top and it's Nicolas Cage as we always see him, which I definitely don't agree with in this case, is the scene after he gets back to his place and he basically downs a bottle of vodka or schnapps or it's a bottle of some kind of alcohol. And the man drinks the whole thing and just kind of freaks out afterwards. And I loved it because number one, it's Nick Cage. And these days I don't expect much out of his acting. But if you go back and look at like, again, the stuff he did in the late, uh, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, mid 90s, even the late 90s. Nick Cage can act when he wants to. He really, really can act when he wants to. But other times, it's just like somebody told him, yeah, just be crazy, you know, and just do that. That's what people love seeing out of you. And that one scene was probably the best acting that Nicolas Cage has done since the year 2000. That freak out after hitting the bottle and just realizing that, you know, this big part of his life is over. You know, he just had to watch his wife be burnt alive. And he's been tortured by this cult. And everything's just hitting him at once. He doesn't know what to say. doesn't know what to do. All he can do is just yell incoherently and scream. And it's such a great scene. Now, in terms of everything else with the film, because I did really enjoy it, um, I found myself not having to care too much about the bad guys, about the children of the new dawn in the film itself. I mean... Because the cult itself wasn't actually that scary. There's a lot of, like, weirdos in this cult. You know, you, you're definitely, we're, we're led to believe there's some inbreeding, obviously, with some of these members. They're all big on LSD and everything, too. It's a Charles Manson-type cult, where he's basically having all these people do things for him, with him rarely doing anything himself. And uh, to, that, to that extent... The cult hires the, the that biker gang out to kidnap Mandy in Red, and they're really the ones that are the scary ones there. Um, the fact that this uh, 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 this gang here, the Black Skulls, they're really the ones doing all the work. And again, as I mentioned, you know, they eat human flesh, they're drinking blood, um, you, you know, and they're doing LSD. And you know, that's without saying the one member who has a very sharp apparatus uh a tie uh tied to him that's that wasn't a good look at all there um he, he has he has basically like a, a sharp a, a sharp uh dildo attached and that that was a uh, very very interesting to see there uh but the bad guys aren't particularly deep we know that jeremiah sand has probably lived a life of impregnating and romancing his female members forcing them into that life and then you know the moment that they get a certain age or he's done with them it's the next paramour form it's the next and the next girl has to step up and take the place of the previous one and nothing seems too uh, too formidable about them and i think that's maybe part of man uh, part of mandy's charm is that 
We know it's going to be a revenge play. We know very much that Red's going to get out of this predicament and he's going to come and wreak havoc on these people who took his wife away from him, you know, took his life away from him, you know. And that part's done exceptionally well to where we don't have to focus too much on this game. And that's really good because none of them are particularly uh, interesting characters. Even Jeremiah Sand, like, I, just because I wanted to see, I wanted to see some real deep emotion and thought coming from this guy. And instead, the entire time he's just basically a weasel who has everybody do things for him. And it's like, dude, you have no power. You have no power in the least bit at all. Um, man. Uh, the imagery in this is just fantastic as well, too. They play the LSD up very, very high because everybody's on it at that point. Uh, the Children of the New Dawn, they're on LSD. The uh, Black Skulls, they're on the LSD. They force Mandy to take LSD. And then Nick Cage accidentally takes LSD as well, too. It takes Coke later. But, like, the entire film is, is super interesting visually as well because – a lot of the time we're seeing the film through LSD covered glasses. We're, we're basically supposed to be tripping the way that they are. And that kind of hikes up the idea of, you know, is this cult, does this cult actually have powers? Are they just human or is there something else that they have the ability to control? And these black skulls, are these human as well? Because they're very otherworldly and all this, like all these drugs and stuff make it hard to tell what is what. Now, out of the three films that I'm talking about tonight, this was easily, easily, in my opinion, uh, the best of the three. Only because it's not really over the top. The gore and the violence in it is pretty damn big. And I, I highly suggest those of y'all who don't do well with like depictions of torture and stuff like that. This might be one you want to avoid just because it's emotionally heavy as well, too. But I really, really enjoyed it, honestly. Um, in terms of scares, again, the Black Skulls were scary as shit. They were scary as hell. And it was so fun watching Nick Cage go up against them. Um, but my favorite fight in the film, my favorite encounter is Nick Cage and the uh, the lumberjack that's part of uh, Children of the New Dawn because they get to have a chainsaw fight. And the last time I saw a good chainsaw fight was Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. This was good too. I don't know if it's better, but damn it if it wasn't a lot of fun watching that, man. Um, yeah, like, it, it. this film left me very, very conflicted. And by conflicted, I just mean that it seemed very obvious that Nick Cage like should do more of these films. It was like he fit the role really well and they didn't like he didn't have any words. I think he honestly throughout the course of this entire movie maybe said a total of 30 words. I honestly think that's what it was. 30 to 50 words max at that point. And it works so well because I think you all would agree that that's a big thing about Nick Cage is that he's out like he he has all these outlandish lines in every single film he does but the fact that he was kept quiet he had to actually rely on his own acting to make it enjoyable you know and he did he did a really good job with it honestly i like mandy 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 is a really really good film 
I would definitely suggest checking it out if you do get a chance to, honestly. It is, it, it, it's it's very enjoyable. It's just very brutal. And that's the thing is that you got to be sure you're okay with how brutal the film can definitely be at times, okay? Okay, so that is Mandy. And as I am talking about these films very much in a chronological order, I'm going to go ahead and move right into the next Nick Cage film, uh, excuse me, that we're going to be discussing, which is going to be Color Out of Space. Yes, that is Color Out of Space. Now, you've probably seen the poster for this, and I only say that because um, this film is getting, uh, this film got a lot of good reviews and good marks on it here. Um, but The Color Out of Space is actually based on a short story by H.P. Lovecraft. And uh, if, if you know H.P. Lovecraft, then you know we're talking like Cthulhu. <laughs> that is, oh man, yeah, Cthulhu is a big, big part there for sure. Um, yeah, so this is based on an H.P. Lovecraft story, which lets you know it's going to be brutal. Um, it's going to be mean. It's going to be incredibly mean and unforgiving to everyone. And my friend John Bedencourt actually even, uh, he even said it when I said it, this, these are the movies that I was going to talk about that, you know, what happens to the family is so messed up and it is. So I have to be careful because I don't want to spoil everything here. Um, basically the story that we're following here is that, this family who's dealing with the mother, uh, Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa, the mom's name's Teresa. Um, a family is dealing, uh, is dealing with the aftermath of the mother Teresa, uh, dealing with cancer. Basically she's had a, she's had a mastectomy and the family's just trying to kind of like still continue on with that. And randomly one night, sometimes a meteor, a glowing meteor crash lands in their yard. And from there, their life is turned completely upside down. Now, they don't know if there's anything anything special with this meteor, if they can make money off it, whatever. But the town is trying to build a new dam for to help with their water supply. And so they send a hydrologist named Ward to come investigate uh, they come investigate the area and check out the meteor and Ward basically tells them that uh, they shouldn't drink the water that clearly that this meteor isn't uh, contaminating the water like it landed next to a well that they have and that they really shouldn't drink it because they don't know what the side effects of it are going to be. Unfortunately, though, the problem is, is that this family is solely, uh, solely all of them are overcome by this presence. It's very clear that this meteor is an otherworldly entity. Could be an alien for sure. Um, you know, uh, but when I say other world, that's kind of what I mean is that it could be an alien. It could actually be from another world as well, too. But either way, it's quickly we quickly understand this is an otherworld entity and that the entire family and the surrounding area is all going to be affected by this and there is some gruesome imagery in this i feel that uh, of the three films that we're doing i i feel that willie's wonderland is what people kind of expect from nick cage these days i feel that mandy shows what nick cage can actually do when he has something good to work with 
and I feel Color Out of Space is kind of like, this is the closest the normal Nick Cage that we'll get, which I don't know if that's a good thing to say based on some of the things his character does in this film, but I feel that uh, Color Out of Space is the closest we get to like a normal Nick Cage. He's playing a father who, you know, he's he's already worried about his wife. You know, his wife is dealing with one of the worst things anybody could ever experience. And he's trying to be strong for her. He's trying to be strong for his kids. He's trying to keep his family together. But he's also dealing with, like, this newfound craziness, which is destroying everything that's important to him. You know, it's, it's making his family act weird. It's making him act weird they're losing their crop they're losing their water supply their animals because they are running a farm are acting weird as well too and they own an alpaca farm and the rest of the family is so uh so interesting he has two sons in it uh the son is jack i believe it's it's uh it's jack and it's benny uh jack being his youngest son benny being his uh his teenage son and, you know, Jack's a typical, typical little kid, and he's the first one affected by this meteor, whereas Brendan uh, actually probably takes the longest to get affected by this meteor at all. He also has a teen teenage daughter named Lavinia, which is an interesting name, and it is very interesting just hearing that throughout the entire film. And his wife, Teresa, as played by Jolie Richardson, who I love from The Patriot and a bunch of other stuff as well, too. Um... It was pretty intense watching the things that happened to each of the members of the family. If you're not familiar with H.P. Lovecraft, he doesn't really give mercy to anybody, which is probably why, you know, he has such an influence in the Alien films, because those movies are very much about nobody, nobody's exempt. Bad things are going to happen to everybody, no matter what age you are, what sex you are, what race you are, that you're going to have some terrible fucking things happen to you. And Color Out of Space was no exception to that either, because, spoiler alert, uh, like, I'm not going to say exactly what, but terrible things happen to every single member of this family. And... You know, usually you can justify things that happen. Like in horror movies, like somebody did this, so they deserve this. Doesn't mean it's okay, but at least there's some kind of justification or motive behind it. There wasn't really any of that for this family, and that's what makes the movie so damn tragic, is that this family's been through so much already, they've been dealing with a lot, and yet and still, they have something else thrown onto their plate that's going to basically wreck them moving forward. The rest of their lives are going to be damaged from all of this. Um, because this movie only came out uh, within the last couple of years, I can't say that much about it. And the, the problem is, is that anything more would really, really give a lot of weight to it. What I will say, though, is that the film is the, the, the film gets scarier towards the end because and then it turns into one of those like escape kind of movies to where the characters are just trying to get away from all this bad shit happening. And then are they successful in escaping? And man, does that get tense and suspenseful once it starts playing up. But um, prior to that, it is more, uh, it's more shocking than it is scary. All the things that are happening to this family and what you're seeing. Like there's going to be a, a couple things that are just going to completely take your breath away. Uh, one involving a kitchen knife. I don't play that game. Uh, that, yeah, that kind of screwed up my head when I watched that one there too. So, um, just be forewarned y'all. If you do watch color out of space, 
Uh, there's a lot of intense imagery in it, but it's a damn good film though. I still don't know if I understand certain parts of it. I mean, the thing is, is that you have to, if you're not picking up the deeper parts of it, you have to kind of commit to just saying this is a film about an alien, uh, alien meteorite that crashes the earth and basically infects everybody around. Um, the similar one, it actually, it's kind of similar to the Stephen King story from Creepshow, the one where the meteorite crashed and the guy starts growing grass or whatever all over him and everything like that. I mean, the same thing doesn't happen, but the story is very, very eerily similar to it, though. Um, so if you've seen that, you can have an idea of some of the things that uh, are going to end up happening here for sure. Uh, but yeah, that's definitely Color Out of Space. I want y'all to check that one out. That and Mandy are so, so, so good. And that is going to bring us to our third and final film that we are discussing, which is Willy's Wonderland. Now, if you've seen any of the trailers for it, because keep in mind, this film was actually set to come out uh, the day before Halloween last year. So it was actually going to come out October 30th um in theaters it was actually set for a theatrical release and unfortunately due to covid a lot of companies had to basically rethink their release strategy some of them have held off releasing big films uh but other ones have just had to put them out like on the streaming services and on demand and that's kind of what happened here with willie's wonderland now if you have no knowledge of this movie and kind of what its basis is it is it, it is actually an adaptation uh, from the director, the original, uh, the director of the film, uh, Kevin Lewis actually put together a small film that basically kept the same premise, uh, a few years back. And because there's such a following with Five Nights at, uh, Five Nights at Freddy's, which is about a new security guard that gets hired at a, um, like a kid's restaurant similar to Chuck E. Cheese or Showbiz or a DZ Discovery Zone. That's basically what Freddy's was. But the twist being that overnight in the restaurant, these animatronic characters uh, become mobile and homicidal after hours. So imagine Mr. Chuck E. Cheese, the big ass mouse, deciding that once night hits, he's homicidal and gonna go around and murder anybody that's still left inside a Chuck E. Cheese. And that was adapted into the game Five Nights at Freddy's to where, again, you play a security guard and your job is to kind of keep these animatronics away from you as you try to survive a number of nights working in the same place. Now, of course, if you played the game, you might have the same question to me, which is after the first night of animatronic robots trying to murder my ass and me barely surviving, why the hell? Would I go back for more nights? Like, am I just rolling the dice at that point? Is the pay that good? It probably isn't. And that brings us to Willy's, uh, Willy's Wonderland. So, Nicolas Cage, uh, funnily enough, plays a character known as the janitor, which he only gets that name because he gets hired as a janitor at Willy's Wonderland. But uh, he's just driving along. He's a random character. We don't know anything about him at all. Uh, and his vehicle, uh, his, his, his Camaro, I believe it is, breaks down after running over a spike strip. Now, the local... Right, so um, the entire premise of Willy's Wonderland is that Nicolas Cage plays this drifter who we don't know anything about him at all. We don't get a name or anything like that. 
Uh, but he's driving along, and his car actually hits a spike strip that disables him. He gets picked up by a local mechanic in the nearby town of Hayesville, Nevada. Uh, and that mechanic decides to take him over to Willie's Wonderland, where the owner needs a night shift janitor. And if he'll work as the night shift janitor, they'll get his vehicle repaired. And over the course of the film, basically, we know what's going to happen. I anybody that walks in this into this film and by walk and I mean rinse it or leave, whatever, uh, you, but you can't watch this film and not have the slightest idea of what's going to happen. I mean, it's it's pretty easy to tell that he's going to work there. The animatronics are going to come alive and try to murder him and anybody else that shows up. And thankfully for us, it's not just Nicolas Cage who gets stuck inside Willy's Wonderland. Um, there is a girl named Liv who ends up getting handcuffed by her caretaker and the local sheriff uh, for trying to set Willie's Wonderland on fire. Her friends come and break her out, and all of them head to Willie's Wonderland the next day in another attempt to burn it down. And of course, their paths cross with our dr janitor drifter, Nicolas Cage, and madness ensues. Now, that's about all I can tell you about it because the film only came out last year, so I can't really spoil anything. But what I can tell you is this was actually an enjoyable watch. I didn't expect too much out of it just because, again, it's a Nicolas Cage film. And you have to understand, I love old school Nicolas Cage. You know, you give me anything from the 80s or the 90s with Nick Cage in it, and even the early 2000s, I'll happily watch that with no issues at all. But... If we're talking Nick Cage after about 2010 or so, that's a, that's a big risk to take. You never know. And the fact that the studio behind Willy's Wonderland isn't really one known for putting out the best movies uh, makes you also wonder where they were going with like a, um, a theatrical release. Like, how was that a legitimate plan here for this film? But I digress because the film is actually a lot of fun first of all you do need to understand that this is not going to be anything worth any kind of quality okay you are not coming in here and going to see like a horror classic that you'll probably watch each and every year you really won't especially because they are making a five nights at freddy's film and when that comes out i fully expect that to basically have this film be completely ignored but the premise is simple and just like in Mandy, they don't have Nicolas Cage's character say that much. And I'm starting to notice a trend between those two films that when you don't give Nicolas Cage a lot to do, he can't be the one to wreck a film. And I say that and it, it's, it sucks because Nicolas Cage has made a lot of good movies. But one of the things in the last 10 years is that him leading a film wasn't really doing people a lot of favors. And I say that's more than me starring in a film, but still. Um... He's interesting to watch because we don't get a lot of info about his character, okay? All we know is his character continues drinking this random-ass fruit punch that he carries around. Like, he literally carries it in a sack. He's got these six-packs and stuff that he's drinking all the time. And that he really enjoys the Willy's Wonderland pinball that's set up at Win Willy's Wonderland. But outside of that, doesn't say much, doesn't, uh, doesn't emote too much there. You just know he's a really good guy. And when shit starts hitting the fan inside Willy's Wonderland, which is hilarious uh, with the different kills they go through, because uh, obviously a lot of people, uh, not a lot of people, but a good chunk of the cast get killed pretty hardcore in this film. But 
what's kind of interesting about it uh there is a twist with the characters and i don't know enough about five nights at freddy's because again like i said i played like the first two games or so but i wasn't great at them so it's not like i lasted more than a day or two to get good story but um the first two games i didn't pick up much of a backstory for how these characters are coming back to life and killing and you know killing people that come in so the backstory they introduce here for willie's wonderland it's simple but it works and it's like okay cool you didn't shoot for the moon you didn't go for anything uh anything over what you know you have the capability to do you kept it incredibly simple and man does the story actually work too okay it works really really good um past that the rest of the acting is not fantastic. Uh, we do get Beth Grant in there. And if you don't remember Beth Grant, uh, she's a veteran in the business. Uh, she was in uh, she was in a show called Jericho that I really love a lot. But you might remember her. Uh, she was in Rain Man. She was in Child's Play 2. She was Andy's teacher that Chucky ends up killing with the ruler. Uh, she was in Speed. She was the woman who tried to get him off of the bus. And, you know, Dennis Hopper ended up, like, destroying the door just to prove a point. She's been in a lot of stuff a lot of really really good stuff and she's absolutely she's a fantastic a fantastic actress so she's pretty much the only other person in this film that you would really uh uh really recognize from uh from the cast here besides Nicolas cage and the rest of the cast outside of Nicolas cage and uh beth grant they're just it's not that good honestly and that's not a knock because the film definitely knows it's not shooting to be this amazing movie. Like the the friends of the character Liv, they're, you know, all these teenagers and stuff. They're exactly what you would expect from like these characters of this age played by these people, honestly. And that's the easiest way to put that. Um, it is gory. Man, is it gory. Between the stuff that Nicolas Cage and the other characters do to the animatronic characters and the stuff that those characters do to the humans, man, it is wild. Wild, wild, wild. But you have to know what you're in for, okay? The production value on this, I've said it to a few of y'all, is only slightly above a sci-fi channel movie. And that actually works pretty well for it because I don't know if I could take this movie seriously if it had like this super, super high budget to it, all right? Um, again, just that's Nicolas Cage. Like he's got to earn that, earn that back basically. But the film itself works where it is. Uh, it, it's, almost, it's almost an insult to call it a sci-fi film because sci-fi horror films... Uh, like on the sci-fi channel just so you understand what i'm saying sci-fi channel films generally just don't have a lot of good going for it and willie's wonderland actually managed to keep a smile on my face pretty much the entire time i was checking it out so um you're not gonna get much in the way of scares like even the jump scares are so telegraphed that there should be no real way for you to get like scared from it but it's still it's still a very very good watch i highly would recommend checking it out and Kudos to Nick Cage, okay? We've talked about uh, we talked about Mandy, Color Out of Space, and Willy's Wonderland tonight. And in 2021, that is the last thing I figured I would be discussing. At some point, it's like, okay, I'm going to come back with a retrospective on The Wicker Man. Because those of y'all who know me know I love the Nicolas Cage Wicker Man. I don't get what the issue is with it. Especially if you're not even considering the original film. I think it's a fine movie, honestly. But I'm happy to have been able to talk about these because... The joke's on me, and now next time Nick Cage has a horror movie coming out, there will be no question about whether I'm seeing it or not. It's going to get checked out pretty much right 
away. And lucky for y'all, tonight in the watch party, we're going to watch Willy's Wonderland. I thought about which of the three we'd honestly want to do. And the problem is that both Mandy and Color Outer Space, they're kind of on the longer end, but they also are just really, really involved. And sometimes, you know, y'all like to be able to just get up and like kind of walk around and get, get away when you're uh, doing our watch parties. So we're going to watch Willy's Wonderland. So make sure you head over to the Facebook page. You can get the link to the room. We're going to open it up. We're going to watch that film together. And then, of course, again, make sure you check the Facebook page out for our watch party tomorrow as we are going to shift all of our scary TV watching till Thursday night, the 25th of February. That is going to do it for us, though. I appreciate everybody joining in again for another new episode. Remember, every Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, you can catch a new episode of T Watches a Scary Movie. And, of course, I'm T. We've been talking scary movies. Y'all stay scared.